Uh, good morning once again, friends. Good morning. Uh, thank you, brother, for being the only person who's answered me. <laughs> are, we, are, we, are we tired? Are we asleep? <laughs> um, yes, it's always an honor, or should I say, a humbling experience to be standing behind the pulpit to teach and preach. Um, it always been something that I thought I would never do. Something that I've, I've only seen from a, from a distance and wondered. And I can thank God um, because the first time I saw someone preaching, it was in the confines of falsehood. And I actually thought it's an easy task. I actually thought it's a task that uh, you can just stand behind the pulpit and speak whatever that comes to your mind. But the Lord is gracious. Uh, he's been teaching me through the word. But it's a, it's a task that requires diligence and faithfulness to his word not for not like what others do to misrepresent what the Lord has given unto us not like what others do to mishandle the holy words of our God so friends um, I pray that you stay attentive I pray that the word of God will speak into your heart as, as, I, as I preach. Um, our text will come from the book of 1 John. 1 uh, John. Yes, our, our text will come from the book of 1 John, chapter 2, verses 5 to 6. But I'll start from the first verse. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for, for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Verse 4. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. The truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Verse 6. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk 
in the same way in which he walked. That's the reading of the word of God. The title of my sermon provides the answer to the question that will be asked today. That is, how can a believer persevere in the midst of a broken world? How can a believer persevere in the midst of a broken world? Later on, I'll be looking into the book of John uh, as we move. But first, let us get into a few definitions to set our foundation. The term persevere simply means to continue doing something in spite of difficulties or opposition. Some of us may know it from the acronym TULIP, which is commonly used to point what are known as the five points of Calvinism, which are total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and the P, which we'll be looking uh, at, uh, which uh, represents perseverance of the saints. The simplest explanation of this doctrine is noted in the saying, once saved, always saved. The scriptures of God teach that by his own power, through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, will enable believers to continue trusting in Christ forever and they will be preserved or kept forever. This glorious truth, friends, is seen in the book of uh, Ephesians, uh, chapter 1, 13 to 14, where we see that believers are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. When we are saved, we receive the promised indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. That is God's guarantee that he who began a good work in us will complete it. Philippians 1.6 Friends, a fact that we need to hold that is in order for us to lose our salvation after receiving the promised Holy Spirit, God would, would, ha would have to break his promise on his guarantee, which he cannot do. Therefore, the believer is eternally secure because God is eternally faithful. Amen. The second term we'll be defining is abide. The term abide means to leave, continue, or remain. Abiding involves our, our response to the teaching of Jesus. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. John 15, 7. As we see the Apostle Paul echoing this idea in Colossians 3, 16, where he writes, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. A statement closely related to the exhortation in Ephesians 5, 18, be filled with the Spirit. So friends, to abide in Christ is to allow his word to fill our minds direct our wills and transform our affections. So first, the reason for defining these terms is for, as I said earlier on, to set our foundation so that when I'm preaching, 
you may not think I'm, I'm, I'm speaking not uh, from the word of God. To understand the, the term persevering does not mean we do it with our own ability. The Lord enables us. Though we run the race, that's the responsibility we take. But the strength to do that is drawn from God. So friends, back to our question, how can a believer persevere in the midst of a broken world? The answer there, by abiding in Christ, which is the title of my sermon. When a person is saved, he or she is described as being in Christ, held secure in a permanent relationship. Therefore, abiding in Christ is not a special level uh, of Christian experience. Rather, it is the position of all true believers. The difference between those abiding in Christ and those not abiding in Christ is the difference between the saved and the unsaved. It starts in our, in our text we just read. Abiding in Christ is synonymous with knowing Christ as pointed out in verses 2 and 3 in the book of um, Second Peter, uh, sorry, First uh, John. Later in the same chapter, John equates remaining in the Father and and the Son with having the promise of eternal life. That's later in verses twenty four and twenty five, which he states, "Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you." If, you want, if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. This phrase, abiding in Christ, pictures an intimate, close relationship and not just uh, a superficial acquaintance. In John 15 verses 4 to 7, Jesus tells his disciples that drawing life from him is essential. Using the picture of branches united to a vine, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me you cannot do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Without that vital union with Christ, that salvation provides, there can, there can be no life and no productivity. We'll be back, uh, we'll be back on this uh, uh, text later on in the sermon. So, 
Back to verse 5 from the book of uh, 1 John. Um, it says that, but who, whoever keeps his word, obedience. Truly the love of God is perfected in him. John here makes the link between our obedience and our love for God. A simplified explanation for this is, is that a perfected love for God will show itself in obedience. And the presence of this obedience and love gives us assurance that we are in Christ. A Christian produces fruit. This is obviously something you know that you cannot profess to be a Christian and live a fruitless life. For example, the way you view sin, it changes. When you get saved, your view of sin changes because you can't claim to love God, yet love what He hates. You are more inclined to obey than disobey. Keeping this in mind that the sin is not eliminated in you until you come to glory. But your relationship to sin is changed when you truly become a Christian. Here are some of the expectations for a Christian when he's saved in light to how they view sin. Number one, a Christian no longer loves sin as he once did. A Christian no longer brags about his sin as he once did. A Christian no longer plans to sin as he once did. A Christian no longer fondly remembers his sin as he once did. A Christian never fully enjoys his sin as he once did. A Christian no longer is comfortable in habitual sin as he once was. I'll quote from Charles Spurgeon. He states, The Christian no longer loves sin. It is, it is the object of his sternest horror. He no longer regards it as a mere trifle, plays with it, or talks of it with unconcern. Sin is dejected in the Christian heart, though it is not ejected. Sin may enter the heart and fight for dominion, but it cannot sit upon the throne. Friends, I want us to, to channel our thoughts deeply on how this ties to perseverance. You cannot persevere when you're not saved, friends. When you don't know Christ, where do you even get the ounce of strength if you're not a believer? What are you persevering for? Let's look to uh, verse 6. He who, he who says he abides in him ought, uh, sorry, he who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Mm. Right. When we are abiding in Christ, we will walk just as he walked. Now, I don't mean that we need to walk on water. <laughs> but instead, let us imitate his daily walk with God, the Father. We see that Christ's spiritual power flowed from a faithful, 
regular disciplined life of fellowship and obedience to the Father. Friends, the call to, to persevere is quite obvious that the path in which we walk is narrow. And it's not a road we walk using our own strength, as I said earlier on. When a believer perseveres, they will sin. Perseverance is a sign that there's a struggle there. Listen to what the confession says about this. Concerning the perseverance of the saints. And though they made through the temptation of Satan and of the world the prevalency of corruption remaining in them and the neglect of means of their preservation fall into grievous sins and for a time continue therein whereby they incur God's displeasure and grieve his Holy Spirit. Come to have their graces and comforts impaired, have their hearts hardened and their consciences wounded. Hurt and scandalize and scandalize others and bring temporal judgments upon themselves, yet shall they renew their repentance and be preserved uh, through faith in Christ Jesus to the end. I like uh, what the psalmist says uh, in Psalm 32, 35, if we can just rush quickly there. Psalm 32, verses 3 to 5. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Seven. Verse five. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Friends, I'll, I'll repeat again. If you, are, if you persevere, you will sin. You will fall into grievous sins. Don't undermine the force at work here. Sin is crouching and it is ready to pounce. The journey will be heavy. As in the first four of the psalm, the psalm is saying that he felt that the hand was heavy upon him and his strength was dry. But I like in, in verse 5 when he acknowledged his sin and he confessed all, all of his transgressions. So friends, it may seem as if like that journey, this, this road in which we are walking is, is, is treacherous. You're faced with so many temptations, especially living in a country like Zimbabwe or in a continent like Africa, where 
You may think like there's no hope. You may even question your assurance of salvation. Am I even saved? My life is dry. But the encouragement here, friends, is that the strength is not drawn from within you to persevere. The strength is not drawn from your intellect. The strength is not drawn from how much you can recite our scriptures or, or, or if, if you think like you're strong in, 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 in physicality. You will fall. It's a given. But when we draw strength from Christ, Yes, the journey will be hard. But will not stop. Now friends, how does the picture of a believer abiding in Christ really look like? Apart from the points I've, I've, I've uh, given earlier on. Now, let's turn to the book of John, chapter 15. Allow me to read it again. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of because of the word that, that I have spoken to you. Verse 4. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Amen. In verses 1 and 2 through 4, we, we see that Jesus is the true vine and it is, it is for effect that, that we must be rooted in him. The vine and the branch picture among many depictions of God's relationship with his people focuses complete dependence and the need for continuous connection with him. As Jesus was about to depart from his disciples, this was an important encouragement for them. He would remain united to them and they to him as truly as, as branches are connected to the main vine. Jesus used this imagery to assure his disciples of continued uh, <clears throat> Connection and relationship, even though he was about to depart from them. 
Then we go down and look at verses 7 through 8. Abide in me and I in you. Jesus emphasized a mutual relationship here. It isn't only that the disciple abides in the master. The master also abides in the disciple. Something of this close relationship is uh, described, as I noted, uh, in the book of Song of Solomon 6, verses 3, which states that, I am my beloved, my beloved, and my beloved is mine. There is a connection. It's, ne it's never separate. And we also see how fruit-bearing is inevitable with abiding. Something that I pointed out earlier on. <clears throat> the quality and quantity of the fruit may differ, but the presence of, of fruit will be inevitable. I'll repeat it again. The quality and quantity of the fruit may differ, but the presence of the fruit will be inevitable. You cannot be a Christian and you don't produce fruit. There will be some fruits of some sort. There may be two apples in the tree. Some may have 30 or 50. It's two fruit. You cannot be dry. I want us to look at this practically in two folds. How does, how does this picture of abiding look like for believers living in a broken world? Number one, when we abide in Christ, our relationship with Him is intimately in line with how we handle the Scriptures. Because abiding in Christ cannot be separated from His Word, His commands, and obedience to Him. Romans 12, 2 commands us to renew our minds and not to be conformed to this world. When we neglect the Word, we become weak and frail, the most vulnerable. We should have a deep desire to know God's Word, apply it to our life, and share it with others. The believer starts as for 2 Timothy 2.15 That do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Earnestly studying the word keeps the Christian away from sin. As the psalmist proclaims in Psalm, Psalm uh, 119.11 I have stored up your word in my heart that I might, not, I might not sin against you. The righteous man delights in, in his law and he meditates on it day and night. Amen. Look at, <clears throat> excuse me, look at what the lack of scripture study has done to the church at large. False teachers now play around with scriptures, taking advantage of the lack of understanding. Especially in Zimbabwe or Africa, as I said before, even across the globe. The level of deception is wicked, friends. Someone is told to eat grass and they listen. 
Someone is told to have an affair with a pastor because God said so. It's so sad to, to, to know that people have become Bible possessors but not Bible readers. Some may claim to have three, four Bibles of different translations, but they are full of dust. Again, you can read the scriptures. You can know it from Genesis to Revelation. But what is your response after that? Is it for mere argument's sake? Is it there to, 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 to guide you as you persevere in this broken world? Or is it just there to occupy space in your handbag? God help us. We have different ch challenges in life, but how do we face them when we starve ourselves of, from the word of God? Which devices are we resorting to, friends? I apologize for what I'm about to say. It may be offensive or not offensive. Some of the grumbling we do is because we don't read scriptures, friends. We don't know how to respond or what the Lord says about each particular situation we face. And most times we simply forget and not care to imprint the truth of God's word in our hearts. Yet we look at Zimbabwe and we don't know how to respond to Zimbabwe's situation. Where else apart from scripture do we get deep and encouraging truth such as in Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. My brother Joey here read it for us. I'm sure we now know it. We can never exhaust the word of God. We just get tired and lazy and bow to our sinful desires. Which is why the journey seems very treacherous and we feel weak is because the the well in which we are trying to draw strength from is empty. Friends, let us keep our eyes gazed upon Christ as we run the race. If you see a brother or sister lagging behind, be of encouragement to them through the word. Carry them. This is not a race you run alone. This is not a solo race. Let's encourage each other, friends. I stand behind the pulpit not because I know so much. I'm a weak man, dependent upon God. As I preach to you, I may be pointing fingers right here, but these three, these three fingers are pointing back. We can't be in such a world and neglect the scriptures. It's, 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 it's suicide. This world is constantly carving up new ways to make us stumble. Now it's okay to be gay. <laughs> it's okay to, 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 to affirm that a child of, of two years can, can change their gender. And it's said that the parents are bowing down to this 
madness. And some of these, you may be surprised, they are professing Christians. Some Christians professing to be gay and saying it's okay. Are we constantly memorizing scriptures, singing hymns or psalms to stay above this craziness? Friends, I pray that the Lord restores our long lost desire of wanting to read, know, and apply His Word. It's not, it's not only about reading the scriptures, it's not only about just, oh, I know how to recite the Psalms. Do you know how to apply the Psalms into your life? As you persevere. The second point. on how we can abide is through prayer. Continuous dependence on prayer. Again, one finger pointing at you, three fingers pointing back at me. It's, it's a saying I heard in China from a dear friend of mine. When we used to talk, have <coughs> conversations over coffee, he would sternly advise me, and at the end of each statement, he'd say, brother, I'm pointing at you, but three fingers are pointing back at me. It's not only going to you, but I'm also talking to myself. Where is the perseverance if, if, if we do not pray? Who are we communing with? Because to draw strength and drive and show fruit in this world as a believer, you need to be in constant prayer. This is absolutely essential. When we look at verse 7 of John 15, the words, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be, and it will be done for you. What comes to your mind as a Christian upon hearing such a text? Is it a pass for a wishing fest? Or wishing God, that you can now wish, you can now tell God, oh, gosh, I want this, I want this, I want this, I want that. I doubt that. But when you immerse yourself in the Word and ask the and ask the Holy Spirit, you have enough wisdom to know that God won't grant you whatever you wish, because friends, the heart is 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 is, is deceitful. You may think you, you know, the heart what wants what it wants. You may desire to want, you know, a mansion. Say, oh, or, uh, or like an example, I can say, like, um, you may pray to God that God bless me with a million bucks, right? So that I need to help the, the, the orphans, I need to help the needy. But friend, why is your prayer not in line and saying, God, May you please provide whoever you can provide for that million dollars to help the needy. Why does it have to come through you? You know? There's something there. You're being trapped into thinking that you can handle a million dollars and fork out and give the needy. You'll be surprised to see you by the CBD there bowling. God help us. Mm. 
But friends, it's important that you know that God would do what is fitting to better our walk with Him. Because our hearts only seek for things that, are, that lead us away from Him. God loves us. He seeks to take care of us. He will grant things that bring us closer to Him. Not away from Him. How powerful it is persevering knowing that when you get weary and tired, you can commune with the Lord and He will strengthen you to run the race. Pray without ceasing, fellow saint. It is good for you. Now, as I approach my conclusion, Brother Joe, <laughs> perseverance in the midst of a broken world is lived through abiding in Christ as we now know. Abiding in Christ is living, serving and laboring for God in constant reliance with Him. Abiding is resting in Jesus' strength, not striving to live uh, for God by our own efforts. Abiding in Christ is the realization that from the very start of every day you need Jesus. Is the admission that without Him you can do nothing. Abiding in Christ means that you begin each day in communion with your Savior and then walk with Him step by step through the day. It's a constant conversation and an ongoing trust. There isn't a point in time where the line breaks, where you say, Oh, I've lost God. Friend, no, you're just clouded by sin. Open your eyes. Abiding in Christ is a continual awareness that Christ liveth in me, Galatians 2.20. And that he is working in me and through me as I depend on him. Friends. All this I'll reiterate again. It's not done through our own strength. Rest upon Christ. I like the hymn, um, hymn 116. As we were singing it, it just came into my mind to know that it's not an easy road. We're traveling to heaven. For many are the thorns on the way. It's not an easy road, but the Savior is with us. His presence gives us joy every day. The second stanza goes on again. It's not an easy road. There are trials and troubles, and many are the dangers we meet. How comforting is the next line. But Jesus guards and keeps so that nothing can harm us. And smooth is the rugged path our feet friends I came here to encourage you as a fellow brother who sins who's weak who desires to continue to grow in the word and in Christ 
And if you're here and you do not know Christ, friend, I urge you, it's good for you. It's good for you. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, how amazing are your holy words to our hearts. We are weak men and women who even boast to think that we can, we can do life without Christ. We even boast to think that, oh, we have enough, or to think that we are enough. But Lord, help us. Help us rely on you. Help us rest our entire weight on you. As we run this race. Help us be immersed in your word and in prayer. As we abide in you. May we not be found wanting, Lord, just wandering like, like, like we are lost when we know that, Lord, we have you. Lord, you never leave us. Lord, you will never forsake us. Help us desire a level of dependency on you that even to every, to, to, to the smallest needs we, uh, in this life, we run to you. May we not be deceived by the devil believing that we can attain this on our own. We cannot. Father, help us apply this, these holy words as we live uh, our lives. May we not be tempted to sin by always grumbling. I keep on pointing out Zimbabwe because Zimbabwe is it is difficult. We'd rather be found lamenting over the, the current situation we face than grumbling over it, as if we have control over change. Let us cast our burdens to you, Lord. Lord, I pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Amen.